three. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Wrestling with the Future. Very special episode. I'm here with a dear friend of mine. But before I get to our guest, let me introduce you to my co-host, Dan the Man Sebastiano. How are you, Dan? Great, Angelo. How you doing? I'm doing wonderful, Dan. That's a fine-looking hat you have on. I try. You see, uh, I'll keep the hat collection going to be part of the look. Absolutely. It's like the third new one this week. <laughs> Guy's got a new hat for every show. I love it. And joining, uh, joining Dan tonight and joining myself is our resident filmmaker, actor, producer, writer, director, man of uh, many hats, Mr. Marvelous himself, Mike Messier. Glad to be here, Angelo, and we've got a very special guest. I'm looking forward to meeting him through you. We do indeed. He is, uh, he is indeed a very special guest. Um, we uh, want to talk a little bit before we get to uh, the good doctor in the house. We want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the reaction we've gotten to our show from last night. Of course, we did our Owen Hart tribute last night, and it's, uh, I got to say, it's been very widely received and very positive. And so if you guys are getting any feedback, let me know. What, what are people saying? Uh, so far on my end, people are just, uh, they're, they're thumbs upping the show. I think on uh, shared around the Facebook circles and all the wrestling groups that I'm in. And I think people are just kind of thinking about Owen Hart right now because of the dark side of the ring. And so I think what we provided, it's kind of a starting point or warm up for people to watch that dark side and, and really honor Owen Hart, one of the greatest uh, wrestlers of a lot of our uh, histories as fans. Yeah. And, um, I think it's going to be interesting the feedback once people watch the full episode because we went an hour and 37 minutes. Yeah. So uh, I think it's going to be interesting the feedback. But I, mean, I think that really, it really speaks for the uh, legacy and the, the love that people have for Owen Hart. It really does. Dan, how, how about you, Dan? Are you getting any kind of feedback? Well, like Mike said, the general thumbs up. But also, if you look at the reaction so far uh, between on social media, that's easily one of our fastest received videos so far, too. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. I'm very pleased with it. And by the way, that episode of Dark Side of the Ring uh, locally here in New Jersey airs tonight, I believe, at uh, 10 o'clock. I think 10 o'clock. Yeah, on the, um, the Vice Network. On the, yeah, Vice. Vice, to, Vice Land, or is it just Vice, Mike? I think, it, are, I think it's... I think it's just Vice, and uh, Vice. here's a little trick for those of you that don't have cable TV or don't have Vice, like on YouTube TV, they don't have Vice. Um, you can go to the Vice website and see the show, um, and you might have to sit through a couple of commercials online, but you can still see all the dark side of the ring right. on their yeah. website. Absolutely. Well, without further ado, I have a very, very special guest. I've known this guy for probably 30 years at least. Yes, and and have known of him longer than that. He is a legitimate wrestling Hall of Famer. His career spans, and it's hard to imagine this, but forty-five years in wrestling. How the hell he survived? We're going to find out. He is a man who is a wrestler, manager, owner, a promoter, a uh, a, a training school owner. Uh, and has worked with some of the biggest names in the business, including Nikolai Volkov, the Iron Sheik, Hulk Hogan, superstar Billy Graham, the list goes on and on. 
So without further ado, the good doctor himself is in the house, my friend, Doc Diamond. Doc, welcome to the show. Andrew, thank you for having me. Danny, oh, Mike, brother. thank you for having me. You're quite welcome. You know what, Doc? I've known you a long time, but you know there's one thing I never knew about you was how the hell you got started in wrestling. Well, how I got started was, believe it or not, was working security. Because at that time, I was promoting bands uh, like Molly Hatchet, uh, Blue Magic, uh, Dennis Edwards and the Temptations, um... Rena Lynn, which I did over to right. uh, McGuire Air Force Base, rented out a hangar over there. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, through that, I met John Milligan. Oh, sure. Okay. Oh, and, sure. Yeah. And then through John, we did. he did a show up to CYO in Trenton. And that's how I actually, later on, I met Larry Sharp. Terry Funk was there. Um, Mike Sharp was there. Um trying to think of some other guys, but it really don't matter. But that's when I basically got started back in, uh, be like 78. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, Doc, and, you mentioned you got started um, managing uh, rock bands. There was another guy who I'm sure you knew at the time who started out managing rock bands uh, and and various entertainment acts yes. and, uh, and made the foray into wrestling as uh, our mutual friend, Rob Russin. Yes, sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. Rob is uh is his claim to fame for everybody who doesn't know that name, Rob Russin. And by the way, he's going to be on the show, Doc. I'm I'm getting him on oh, the show. Great. He great. agreed to come on. Uh Rob Russin is the guy who discovered Diamond Dallas Page. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's his claim he, to fame. Yeah. Uh Page worked for me over to I had a show at the skate zone, the Flyer Skate Zone. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yes, he was. You know, it's funny, Doc. What's that? It's right around the corner from my house. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. It's okay. ten minutes away. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. That's funny. Yeah. And Rob, of course, his other claim to fame, maybe infamy or fame, depending on how you look at it, was uh, he brought the world the first Elvis impersonator. So. Really. Yeah, he sure did. The Big L. Okay. Okay. The big L, Larry Seft, the big L. It's I gotta ask him because it sounds from how long ago maybe was this? 1976. Okay. Um, yeah, Elvis right. was still alive. We'll have to ask him if uh, if he ever worked in um, Brothers Three. He used to be a uh, lounge in a bar outside of Mount Holly. And I was wondering because uh, a guy, a gentleman, I think that was that what he went by, and he did the Elvis. Oh, you know, Elvis, not the, 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 dragons, the Dragons Inn. Uh, I don't know what it is now. Yeah, it was called the Dragons Inn. Yeah, okay. that's the place, Doc. Yeah, okay. in Mount Holly, the Dragons Inn. Oh, okay. Yep, okay. that's the place. Yep, oh, sure. Okay. So, uh, how the hell did you get started? I mean, you started with rock bands, and what was what like was your what was your like real introduction into full time, where you said to yourself, "I'm going to leave the bands behind, right. and I'm going to go balls to the walls with this wrestling deal." Eighty two, when uh, Larry Sharp talked to me, 
Walk me and through that because you and I both knew Larry. Sure. Sure. Um, love Larry to death. Um, Good guy. Got started out with Buddy, Buddy Rogers was there. It was Buddy Rogers, Charlie Fulton. As my buddy. And me. Yeah. Yeah. Irene still gets a hold of me once in a while. Charlie's wife. And then, like I said, it was uh, Buddy Rogers. I miss And him. then, uh, yeah, yeah. Always dress nice. Always. And I wish I could have his tan like he did all year long. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah, and, um, I'll tell you what, man. Buddy Rogers, you know, and we were talking about Buddy. You know, uh, I had Bill Apter on the show, Doc, um, on Thursday. Right. And we talked about Bruno and we talked about Buddy. Right. You know, Buddy always had that cigar in his mouth calling everybody Pally. Hey, Pally, come here, right. Pally. Yeah, everybody was Pally. <laughs> he was a great guy. And uh, you remember his bar in Camden? Do you remember uh, Buddy's bar in Camden? No, I'm trying to think of it, man. I'm really happy. It was cool. I mean, Larry, Larry, I don't remember too much for that because Larry Sharp might have drugged me there. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If you knew Larry Sharp, it's it wasn't out of the question. <laughs> Absolutely, Larry was a character. Well, let's talk oh, about yeah. Larry. You and I both yeah. knew Larry, yeah, and Dennis Carluzzo, and uh, yeah. and oh yeah. yeah. So talk about Larry Sharp. Let's talk sure. about Larry a little bit. What I what I liked about Larry was he told you how it was. Okay, he wasn't like a lot of the schools the way I would would want to run it too. Is and like uh, his boy cousin Luke, which was a dear friend of mine, Gene Pettit. Oh um, yeah. Oh yeah. You always look for a guy that was big, and you know, in wrestling, you, you didn't get a guy that weighed you know 150 pounds or 100, you know, <laughs> yeah. 180 pounds. You know what yeah. I mean? Not not that I want to discourage them from their dreams, right? Like, yeah, because who am I to say to them when I have them come to my school? Who am I to say to them that they can't make it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and you know what, Doc? It's funny that you that you you go in there because uh, my co-host Dan, the man, and I, we had this conversation not too long ago about the the way wrestlers look yeah. and. Uh, Remember that whole, oh, we did a whole show on right. on how wrestlers look today and how yeah. the uh, the lack of training, you know, and the fact that you owned the school is really special interest to Dan, and he's got a lot of questions for you. Sure. So well, that, uh, what I'm going to do, Doc, is uh, I want to I'm going to turn it over to Dan and let him talk to you a little bit. Okay. Okay. Dan, you got it, brother. All right, Doc. I appreciate hey, the uh, opportunity to talk to you. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. To, nice to, to you. Go ahead, man. To, to go off of what Angelo was saying, we, we've talked a lot about the evolution of the modern wrestler, the look of the modern wrestler. And uh, I'm curious, running, a, uh, doing some, you know, looking up research in your name prior to the show, you're running the wrestling school. Have you noticed an evolution in the look of like the student? And, and yeah. maybe you could yeah. give us some insight on why yeah. you're smaller uh, for you know, modern comparison sake, someone like a, a young bucks, for example, who are literally just backyard friends who decided right. to wrestle. Why, why someone like that decides like, like where does the evolution come from? You think you can shed some light on that? Sure. Well, not just that, 
they, they all want to do the high fly moves and they make it look so, so, I mean, you can't keep doing a high spot after a high spot after a high spot. They don't know how to wrestle anymore. I could watch Abdul the Butcher, which he's worked for me many times, which I had against Manny Fernandez. You watch Abby work, and most of the time he's out of the ring and he's resting. When he gets up in the ring, he's resting. You know what I mean? I mean, that's just the way, you know, you do what you got to do and then get in there. But these guys want to do high spires, the high spot. And then if they're young, they want to, you know, two weeks out, of, they're still in the school. They're asking about a belt. When am I going to get a chance for a belt? Uh, you know, two weeks to a month in the school. You know, everybody wants a belt. Um, that's crazy. There's there's no characters anymore. Everybody looks the same. Ah, he yeah. said it. He said it, Dan. Yep. He did. He said it, Dan. There's. Oh my God, I love you, Doc. You're the best. Everybody yeah, just, is. How long have I been saying that, you guys? Mikey, this, how long? A long time. You've been saying that a lot. Uh, I, Doc, I harp on it every week. Where are the fucking characters? Yes. Where did they go? Yes. I mean, the Iron, the Iron Sheik, Nikola Volkov, King Kong Bundy. I mean, you go on and on. You know, uh, Johnny Rods, uh, uh, Honky Tonk Man, Tito Santana. They all worked for me and or helped me out in some way, you know, and there's just no characters anymore. And not just that, like I said, they all look the same and dress the same. Right. I mean, who's the heel and who's the baby face they anymore? Here's really the cool. problem I have, Doc. As much as I think it's a good thing that the WWE has a performance center, right? Right. The problem I have is they're all cookie cutter. Mm. Yes. You know what I mean, Doc? Yes. They're all yes. cookie cutter. Yes. Mikey, expand on that for me. Well, I want to go to his uh, Doc's point about the guys trying to be, you know, cruiserweight champions when they first come in there. Um, I think that maybe that's something to do with the popularity of like the Rey Mysterio Juniors and the Juventud Guerreros on Nitro uh, around that era. You know, 20 years later, we're seeing that a lot of those young kids that maybe in prior generations would be too small to be professional wrestlers. Maybe these smaller kids got inspired by the Rey Mysterio types and the bigger, tougher guys are uh, inspired by UFC. By Randy Couture and Chuck Liddell and Ken Shamrock, right. and maybe that's maybe that's the generational divide or the generational gap yeah. in all of this. Right, but what what happened to the guys with wearing actual wrestling boots and actually a uniform? You know, I'm you know with actual tights, and you know that that's the problem. I mean, you're yeah. coming in with dungarees on. Yeah. Old. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, if, yes. If I may. Sure. Uh, to, to continue, um, kind of expand on that point too. You talked about all these guys you've booked. There's a big trend today. I mentioned the Young Bucks earlier. They're one. Uh, Kenny Omega is another big name. These are people who were not. Ah, speaking one. of big names, guess who's here? Hold who's on. Here? All right. Bye-bye. My friend here. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? All right, who, who booked the run-in? Is it Mr. Rasta? Oh, yeah, uh, baby. Hold on. This is like Lethal Lottery. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, it was Davey O'Hannon calling in. Hold on a minute. Oh, Dave. Hold on, you guys. Okay. We'll get him back. But anyway, go ahead, Dan. What I was saying is you have some of the names, like I mentioned, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. You know, these, these guys who were not trained in a school the way you would run, where these are just backyard wrestlers and you watch them perform and they're clearly just people who are, they, they look like they're kids pretending to wrestle. Right, I'm wondering, yeah. have, do you have any experience having to, to train some of these bad habits away or booking or dealing with these guys who were, think, I, for lack of a better term, think they know wrestling when they don't, they're, you know, they're just not, yeah. I mean, you know, they're, they're backyard stunt show performers who decided to wrestle and somehow got a chance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they they come in and they think they're gonna make a million bucks, you know. And I mean, sometimes you gotta do things for free. And I understand that because I've done plenty of charities. I mean, I've done Make a Wish, Sunshine Foundation, uh, Children's Hospital. I mean, I've done so many. And they some of them don't think they gotta do you know go do a gig like that for free. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just gotta do it. You know, and guys forgot about eight by tens and get your, you know, get your, get your advertisement out there. I know this is like when I worked for Zavaltis, okay? Yeah. I worked for Zavaltis and we we're doing TV and I, when I managed, I managed, I managed you. It wasn't yeah. like, you know, I pretended yeah. and got outside the ring. I mean, I booked, got you booked and I, I usually took you there. You know, yeah. when I was working for Zavaltis, when they had the IWCCW, and then they moved it into ICW. I guess Tony Rumble was there first with the, IC, the IWCCW, and I would everybody would call me for the mid for the midgets and the little people. I guess totally uh, correct now, but right. yeah, right. If you put little people on the poster, you know, I mean, believe me. Those guys like Frankie Third Degree Burns I managed and, and Martine and the pranks were like when the Batman movie was popular, didn't use the Joker, couldn't usually use the Joker. So I called him the prankster, but he dressed just like the Joker. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. I actually, like if you look at Chief Thunder Mountain, except for the headdress, most of that stuff I've made myself. Yeah. You know, yeah. same thing a horse is wearing. I mean, you know, if you look at them as a tag, I mean... They, they look like they belong together and they're tagged. You know, Tony Rumble used to always yeah. get on it because Cowboy yeah. and Indian together, you know, stuff like that in the ring. But um, it's just... Right, you, you guys talk. Right. And um, I, I, well, oh, I thought that was my, it slipped on me here. Um, Mike, I... I well, keep, keep, keep going, Doc. Keep going. Okay. Yeah, you're good, Doc. Oh, okay. All and, right. And I, trying to get to what I really want. They, like I said, they, they, they think they're going to make a million bucks. Okay, yeah. we're going back to that one. Doc, I got a friend of yours here, Doc. Davey? <laughs> Davey. 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 He was just here. This is like Papa Shingo at WrestleMania 8 <laughs> at the end of the show. 
Get to the ring, Papa Shingo. You got to break up the three count. He was just here. Doc, I got to say real quick, as we have this, I I knew Tony Rumble. Uh, For those that don't know who Tony Rumble is, he was a class A gentleman. He always wore a bandana. He was called the the Boston bad boy. Yep. Um, I, I don't. Was was he trained by Kowalski by Killer Kowalski? Um, yes, sir. Okay, yeah. so so Tony was kind of the heir apparent to Killer Kowalski in that New England pro wrestling scene up until about uh, I think Tony passed away in two thousand one or two thousand two. I think it was two thousand two. Uh, yeah, and he was a he was a great guy. So anyone that knew Tony Rumble, he could go on camera. He was actually featured, I think, in the first. WCW World War Three pay-per-view, uh, that, that Battle Royal thing. Not because Tony was was a huge name on the national wrestling scene, but because Kevin Sullivan uh, really had a fondness for Tony Rumble. And uh, Tony would help get some yeah. of the best talent out of New England to the national wrestling scene, whether it was WWF or WCW, ECW. Tony was a conduit for a lot of great things. So as cool. a New Englander at heart here, I, I do want to pay my respects to Tony Rubble and thank you for being a good friend of his. Sure. We're going to do this that. old school, Doc. Hold on. Yeah, We're going to yeah, old I mean, he was a, he was a character. I mean, hey, that's Davey. What... I got Doc Diamond here. I can't hear I can't him. Oh, there he is. Go ahead, Doc. Hey, Davey. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Doc. How are you? It's been quite some time since I've seen you. Yes, sir. Um, I when I was talking to Angelo, I just said, you know, one of the one of the people that have helped me in this business, and not just helped me. I mean, I, I never said you. You were just so loyal, and well, it's hard to. And then, you know what, the, the people that, that listen to this, and uh, and there are a ton of people that listen to uh, Wrestling with the Future, but uh, what they have to understand is, and I can only speak from, uh, from the time that I was involved, so the 70s and the 80s, uh, we, we had a pretty closed shop. Uh, wrestling was, you know, was different. You know, I'm, I'm not involved now, so I don't know what it's like. But it was it was close to the sense if somebody was an outsider, yes, they they had a real tough time getting in. So, what is an absolute testament to Doc Diamond is uh, he he gained the trust and the affection uh, of the guys that were in the business. You know, guys like uh, Nikolai Volkov and Jimmy Snuka and uh, Larry Sharp and, and Bundy. Uh, you know, myself, of course. Uh, uh, Manny Soto and Dick Worley made an appearance for Doc. Let me tell you something, that was unheard of. You didn't get those guys to go down and, and, and go appear for somebody uh, if they weren't completely trusting. Uh, and, and the reason was, 
Uh, like I said, we had such a little closed uh, group there, a closed industry, uh, we never made a joke about what we did for a living, so we were really careful uh, about who we let in in our house, and, and Doc Diamond uh, was just a natural to be there. Thank you, Davey. And, and I'll never forget you, Davey, telling me that, um, as a matter of fact, I heard in a couple of conversations about guys going around calling people marks. Well, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those people. There's no such thing. Yeah, well, no doubt. I, you know, I, I just never use the word mark. Right, that's I what I mean. That. That, that, that's what I learned from you that, you know, when you told me that you didn't believe in that and, and you know, and I followed that too. When when you mentioned yeah. a couple times to me and mentioned it to people in front of me, you know what I mean. And it's true. I mean, they're your fans. They're the ones. Pay, they're the ones paying at the door to see you. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I'll tell you what. If it's any consolation, everybody smartened up is in the audience now, and all the marks are in the business. Right. <laughs> you, might be, you might be right about that. I don't know if that's a good thing Maybe or not. It seems that way. But... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just happened to, my son uh, called me up and said to me, you got to watch something on YouTube. Uh, about an, it was, I guess it was an independent, I'm sure it was an independent wrestling show somewhere, don't know where. Uh he said, "You got to just take a look at this," and and I looked, and you know there were there was probably a good twenty or thirty people in this in this uh, audience, and uh, and this guy got up uh, on a ladder uh, outside the ring, and I said to myself, "Well, okay, well, he's he's watching too much television, this guy," uh, and he went to jump off the ladder, except the ladder moved, and uh, he splattered himself. Uh, all over the uh, ring apron, which I thought was kind of amusing, uh, which I thought was kind of amusing. And I said to myself, well, yep, he's in the wrong place. He ought to be in one of those seats watching. And you know what? That's the other thing that comes to mind, uh, because I saw the people uh, that Doc Diamond uh, had working for him. And uh, nobody liked that. No, nobody made a joke of the business. Uh, you know, nobody uh, 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 cheapened it at all. You know, he had a quality operation. You know, and that's also a testament to him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate that. Oh. Davey, I, I, I thank you so much, Davey, for, uh, for doing the old, uh, the old favor for the doc. I really appreciate it. And you're a good friend of the show, and you've been here a few times in the past, and you're going to be here many more times in the future. Well, I hope so. It's, uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, you know, we can tell, uh, us old guys, uh, you know, we can tell who is a friend of the business uh, as we knew it and, and as we treated it. And, uh, you know, there's people that we just don't get involved in, yeah. don't get involved with. Uh, and... Uh, like I said, Angelo, you know, certainly, uh, you know, you're the gold standard for the podcast uh, and the way you treat the, uh, the talent and Thank the way you. you treat the business. And, and Doc Diamond, uh, like I said, it, it took a whole lot for somebody to gain our trust uh, and uh, to be let in. And Doc Diamond had no problem with that. Just look at the names. Uh, you know, when I exclude myself, just look at the names. Uh, that he was close with and you know when you say Nikolai and, and uh, uh, Dick Worley and Manny Soto and Snooker and 
Larry Sharp, and you know many, many more, many more. Uh, that wouldn't have happened uh, if he wasn't such a quality person. So That's absolutely my, right. Wow. So my pleasure. Absolutely. You guys, uh, you know, feel free to contact me anytime you want. I, oh, and by the way, Davey, uh, our friend Bill After says to say hi to you. I spoke to him the, uh, the other uh, night. I had him on the show the other night, and uh, of course he. Uh, he did his famous Bruno impression. He does huh. good Bruno. Yes, yeah. he does. <laughs> and, he, and he does really good Terry Funk, too. Yes, he, he does. does. <laughs> yeah, because he, he, he and I kid around. When I see him or he sees me, uh, instead of saying hello to him, I say, Well, you yellow egg-sucking dog. And that's what Terry <laughs> that's what Terry Funk used to say to him all the time. He'd say, After it. you egg-sucking dog, you... So anyway, uh, uh, yeah, good oh, guy. God, and, you know, he's a, he's another guy that was in that in that that group that yeah uh, that we we just protected that little thing that we had going. So oh, absolutely uh, for sure. So for you know, maybe sure, maybe in our next maybe in our next life the territories will come back and and they'll remember us guys. Oh, we got I got news for you, brother. We got a whole show coming up about the territories. Oh, great! Yeah. Great that was the best time in the business. Well, and that's why I want you, I definitely want you for that one, for sure. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm going to have you and Manny Fernandez on. Oh, how about that? Yeah, yeah. Manny was a good hand. I yeah. never worked with him. I never worked with him. And uh, when he when he was in, I, I apologize for that. Sometimes uh, wrestlers start talking and they talk too much. Okay. Uh, no. my, wife, my wife always says, could you make it the short version of whatever story it's going to be? <laughs> Uh, no, I have a podcast. We like the long versions. <laughs> uh, Manny, Manny uh, was was uh, I think I think uh, with Turner WCW, and uh, I had gotten a call from Dylan, who was uh, booking for them. Yeah. And, and JJ uh, uh, booked me, but I was working WCW the, the North Towns up here, Roanoke, Richmond. When they came up to Baltimore, I was doing that. So Manny and I never actually crossed paths. Right. Uh, we never crossed paths. We, but we had a mutual friend, uh, uh, Bruiser Brody, uh, who oh, someday yeah. Manny and I'll talk about. Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, he was. Uh, yeah. anyway. I tell you what, Davey, we actually were really, really fortunate to have Bruiser's wife on the show, Barbara. Yeah, I heard that. I I met her a couple of times. And, and the one time I, and I, again, I apologize, Doc, I'm talking too much here. Uh, no, Dave, I love you, man. Go ahead. I, I, I met Barbara uh, one time. I don't remember where it was, but she, she knew who I was because Frank and I were close, and we traveled together uh, down in the Amarillo Territory. And uh, when I stayed in Amarillo was when he got booked up here in uh, uh, the WWF. Yeah. Uh, for his run with Bruno, and uh, I, I promise this will be the last little story, you know, that I'll hang up and let you guys talk. Uh, anyway, uh, I finished in Texas, and then they brought me back up for a garden show, and it happened to be Brody's first garden show, and he was just a nervous wreck. Uh, you know, he's working with Bruno in the garden, doesn't get any better than that, uh, and he, he said to me, uh, can you take a look for me, tell me what this looks like? out here, you know, what's it going to be? Uh, you know, because he had known I'd worked in the garden several times. So 
oh, yeah. I looked out, you know, and the garden was always filled, you know, it was, it was a good arena to work in. And I went back, I said, Frank, I don't know what to tell you, man. It's, it's 10 minutes before showtime and there's not even a half a house here. Uh, uh. And he, he looked like he was going to faint. I mean, of course it was filled. Yeah. You know, it, it was filled, but he was nervous about drawing a house, so I figured I'd help him out a little bit and tell him that it was half a house that he didn't <laughs> draw flies. <laughs> uh, you so, lied, Davey O'Hannon, you lied. <laughs> he, he actually went into the bathroom and threw up. Oh, my God. <laughs> so that was great. Mission accomplished. Uh, that was great. And uh, after... I love uh, the I love them. Yeah, I, I left. I left, and uh, and I saw him. We used to stay in the Edison Hotel uh, yes. on 47th Street, and there was a bar across the street called the Savoy. Yeah. Uh, and here he comes, and he looked down the bar and saw me sitting there, and he said, you son of a bitch. And here he came. I had a, I had a duck out the back. I had a duck out the back. <laughs> he was going to whack me. He said, you got me good. <laughs> he said, you got me good. Oh, that's beautiful. But, but, but his wife remembers him telling that story. So, yeah. So yeah, she's good. actually coming back on, Davey. We're doing a special tribute to wrestling wives. I, we're going to have uh, Wahoo McDaniel's wife, uh, Karen. Oh, boy. Wow. Yeah. She's coming back. i uh, got Barb Goodish coming back, and I've got a really super surprise that I'm not allowed to talk about yet. Uh, uh, but it's a, let's put it this one. It's, it's a dream come true. Gotcha. <laughs> There's a little hint there. I got you. <laughs> um, Davey, thank you so much for joining us, brother. Well, listen, this was, uh, this was an honor for me. Uh, to be on Doc Diamond's show like this, and, uh, you know, uh, like I said, I'll shut up, but uh, uh, I can't say enough good about Doc Diamond. I'm, uh, I really appreciate that he's my friend, and always Amen. will be. Okay, guys, take care, Doc. I love you, and uh, look forward to seeing you. Love you, Davey. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for the okay. friendship, man. Take care. Davey, thank again, you, Angela. brother. No problem. Thank you so much. I'll, I'll touch base with you tomorrow, bro. Davey O'Hannon. Yeah. Now, for those of you watching this on video, we had to do this old school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's okay. This is oh, what it is. When, when technology fails you, Doc, this is what you got to do. You got to pick up the microphone Long and pick up the telephone and put them together. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I'll tell you what. I've known, I know Davey O'Hannon. As long as I know you, Doc, I've known him the better part of 30 years. Yeah. And uh, it's funny how I met Davey. I actually met Davey, believe it or not, through Johnny Rods. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Johnny helped me out a lot. I, I, I didn't have time to answer, but I wanted to ask him how Johnny Rods was doing. If anybody heard anything or anything like that. Uh, I, can, I can tell you what I have heard. Um, I know he's been ill. Right. Um, I know. Um, I know they're keeping, you know, for lack of a better word, they're keeping kayfabe on it. Right. Um, nobody's really talking like, you know, there's a handful of people who know, but, but uh, just suffice it to say, um, 
that he's, you know, that he's ill right now, and we hope right. you know, we we all wish him the best. Right. That was a nice run in from Davey O'Hannon. Out, that was beautiful. Yeah. I love Davey. Yeah. I yeah. really do. And I want to tell you what you want to talk about getting put over by somebody. You know, calling yeah. us the gold standard. That's that's pretty yeah. sweet. Come out, Davey. Sweet. Yes. Yeah. And, and, that's, I that's mean, not nice. to tell He's just—he's a gentleman. I mean, you can't—you know—can't get around it. He's a gentleman in the business, and like I said, you know, um, I, like I said, it came out of my mouth. Loyalty. I mean, he, he never asked for a dime. I know. When he comes to a show, I mean, he picked up uh, other people for, for me, and when he asked for yeah. gas money, I tried to give him gas money, and he wouldn't take it. You know, I mean, that—that's what. You know about the older guys, and then you got the guys now. Brother, that, I was the same life. way, Doc. I want to tell you, brother. I was the same way with Larry, with the uh, Bundy, with Jimmy Snooker. They none of them ever took my money. They well, they worked well, my shows. They never took a dime from me. Well, that's how many right. people do you know can say they got Jimmy Snooker to work for free? How many exactly. people? Right. I can say that. Right, I can, you can say, that. say that exactly. Yeah, I know you can. <laughs> yeah, I know Nikolai you can. Nikolai would come up for free, come up for free for me, and I said, yeah. "At least take, take some gas money, Nick." No, no, no. And he'd he'd actually call whoever he said he was going to work for. I guess he was going to do a double booking and just tell him yeah. uh, he what. I guess you know I don't know what story he told them, but he would come and work for me, and he worked for nothing. I've heard those stories. Yeah, I've he would come heard up. those stories where he would cancel a paid booking and come work for you. Yeah. Yep. Just, to, just that, to work. That should speak volumes. I want people watching this and, and listening to this on our various podcast platforms. I want you to hear what Doc is saying. All right. And well, not just that, <clears throat> what they do also, uh, Danny and Mike, is that they, they overpriced themselves. The, exactly, the wrestlers of, Doc. Exactly. You mean the wrestlers booked themselves out of, or priced themselves out of jobs? Exactly. Yes. Yeah, that's what Doc is saying. Captain yeah. Albano, okay. Captain Lou Albano. On one show. Captain Lou Albano, the Bushwhackers, Hawkey Talk Man, uh, Tito Santana, Bam Bam Bigelow. This is all one card. This is a WWF card at that time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And today you're lucky if you can afford one. Yeah, you know, I'm not right. Exactly. I mean, because everybody they want to outprice themselves, especially yeah. the younger guys. Yeah, they think you know they think they can get this or that, and you know I'm not going to put out prices, but you know where I've had guys like I said, like uh, Tom Brandy's a good friend. You know, and Tom would. Oh, come, I love know. Tommy. I mean, for Tom those would, of you watching, Tom Brandy is. Uh, uh, Tom Brandy is the WWF's Salvatore Sincere, and he's also the Patriot. Yes. yes. He was also Johnny Gunn in WCW, I believe, around yes, 92. Yes, sure was. Yeah, Tommy's a good friend of uh, me and Doc. Yes. Very yeah, in fact, uh, he, he, he did that show for me. Again, a, another guy that never asked me for a dime. Did a show in Atlantic City, a free show he did for me uh, for the 9-11 uh, uh, fund. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we did the, at the Saints the, Casino, uh, Doc. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. Mike, you got a question for Doc. The, the good I, doctor is all yours, Mike. I, I do. Um, Doc, I wanted to ask you, uh, without me putting forth my own two cents too much, is when you train wrestlers and when you have trained wrestlers, um, do you ever talk about things like wrestling etiquette or ethics? And I guess what I'm getting at is there's been a trend on the independent scene as well that's kind of seeping into AEW especially and WWE to a lesser extent of some of the wrestlers really just kind of blatantly doing silly stuff. Not not Lord Alfred Hayes on TNT silly, but you know, a wrestler will chew his gum, spit the gum at the opponent, the, the gum will fall to the ground and the opponent will pick it up and put it in his mouth. Right. I've seen that happen in independent shows. And then you have the the Joey Ryans of the world that do really ridiculous crotch gimmicks and you have uh, 30 super kicks a match with the, the aforementioned young bucks. And these are things that as a fan, I actually find offensive. And I'm yeah. wondering if guys like yourself within the business who can help mold the future of these young wrestlers, is that something that's addressed or, or not? And if you do address it, how do you bring it up with the young talent? Well, well, it's the first thing I do is, like I said, what you're talking about, it's called respect. And there's no respect in this exactly, business anymore. Doc. Respect is gone. It really yeah. is. And then when guys also ask, I got students, you get a lot of the students to ask you about drugs and alcohol and this and that. I tell them, you know, I said, listen, I judge no one. Because... WWE, WCW, whatever, NWA, whatever, the small, smallest federation, I don't care if there's one person in the audience. But when you're working for that federation or whatever, those guys will do whatever they got to do to get in the ring. Because there's always somebody to step in behind them that's either just as good as they are, just as good as they are, or better right. than them. Doc, and I, you're going to, I got a question for you, Doc, following sure. up on what Mikey was saying. When you train a guy, and you and I both know how Larry used to train. Yes. When you train a guy, what's the first thing when he walks in the door and he pops down his money and says, Doc, I want you to train me? What's the first thing you do? First thing I do? Yeah. Get it, I, I get him in the ring. Nothing against I don't want to say a bad thing about Larry, but... I didn't spend so much time in the office counting the money. I made sure I made sure they yeah. actually were being trained. You know? Yeah, and I know what Doc is talking about. Larry spent very little time in the ring. He used yeah. to, you know what he used to do? Well, Doc, you know. But for, for people who don't know, Larry, God rest his soul, Larry Sharp, pretty boy Larry Sharp, used to train guys by sitting on a chair outside the ring. And say, do this and do that and do this and do that. <laughs> Not just that. I mean, I, I was present. Like I said, I was partners with Larry. So I, I know, you know what went on. And I couldn't believe some of the things he would say. And like I said, I loved him because he, if he didn't like you, he told you. And yeah. I like people. Like, I really do. If they don't like you, you know, tell them. You know, if you don't yeah. like like that person, you know, don't, you know. Pull, you know, pull their leg for a long period of time, and then, but um, Larry asked somebody for fifty dollars to train them, and you know he would have tryouts, 
and charge 50 bucks for a tryout. But then he would ask that person, uh, well, uh, can't train you. I'm uh, going to keep your 50 bucks. Hmm. Okay. But um, I think you're untrainable. Well, isn't that why he's there? To right. pay the fifty dollars to get trained? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, he didn't get, and this is a true. Didn't he give the kid a, a time to show him, man. You know, you know, no yeah. bumps, no nothing. And then yeah. he, go, he goes, I, I can't train. It takes the fifty bucks. Yeah. You know, that, well, that's what, what's the difference. Me and Larry when we ran a school. Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, when I ran the school with Larry. It was a different story. You know, I mean, Larry just was at that time. Well, Buddy was until he passed away. But Larry was the senior guy there. Oh sure. You know, yeah. the head trainer was Charlie Charlie Fulton. Yeah. You know, and it's just sometimes how you know, like I said, I love Larry, but it's just how sometimes how he treated people, and yeah. I'm talking treating Charlie and stuff like. Sure. I mean, you don't, you, don't, you don't scream at your trainer in front of the students. Well, I'll tell you, you know? what, Doc. We got a guy here that's uh, he's got a shit ton of questions for you. So sure. I'm going to give uh, Dan the man about the next 15, 20 minutes. And you and Dan just talk because he's got a lot of questions about training and schools and all that kind of stuff. Dan, well, I, all your first, kids. I, first, I just want to tell you. Um, one of the first matches I had, believe it or not, was against, I wrestled with, my tag team partner was uh, Ron Shaw. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> Ron Shaw. I was working for Bob Raskin. I don't remember Bob Raskin, USWA. Oh, God, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, that's going back some years. Oh, but yeah. It was me and Ron Shaw. Yeah, we played the Russians. <laughs> we were the bad guys because it was... Sergeant Slaughter and somebody else that I had a lot of respect for in the business that taught me a lot was Teddy Petty. And that time he was wrestling as oh, a yeah. kid. Rock oh. Rock. Yeah. Yes. But that time was yeah. Cheetah Kid. Cheetah yep. Kid, yeah. Yep. yep. Sure was. And uh, I remember Teddy. I knew Teddy very well. Yeah. Teddy was a good friend and taught me a lot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was what yeah. that was one of my first matches. And, uh, of course, I got clothesline accidentally, you know, <laughs> by Ron, while Slaughter had a hold of me, and then uh, Ron came back and then clotheslined me instead, you know. And I went outside the rings, and I'd never seen little kids at, like, nine years old, what kind of language they could speak. Go ahead, Dan. Go ahead, Dan. No, like, like it's funny you talk language. I've said before on this show, wrestling fans are a unique breed. I say they are simultaneously the greatest and worst human beings in the world. <laughs> but, Manners uh, now. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to, I want to uh, go uh, expand a little bit. You, you talk your school, and you and Angela have had a lot of stories. Um, I, I'm curious the the area that. that most of these stories take place in northern New Jersey, Philadelphia, that area has been from day one of modern wrestling history, even before kind of a hotbed of people are from there or go. Right, there. Sure. What, what is it about that area? Do you think that is that is bred so many born and bred so many wrestlers or people who want to wrestle? Um, I, 
I actually don't think it's the it, it might be the area because you have a lot of wrestling fans on each coast. And at that time, at least when I was, you know, doing, like I said, the IWCCW and NWA and all that, um, you had a lot of wrestling on the East Coast. And that, that's where all the big stars lived. Like, you had Bundy, and, you know, and Snuka, and, you know, even though he was a referee, but uh, the greatest referee ever lived with Dick Worley with the WWF, you know. Yeah. And um, yeah. I just think, you know, it, it kind of, it, I mean, I'm not going to, it's kind of luck. It's got to be luck, too. I mean, you know, it's where you're born, you're there. You know what I mean? And you just happen to stay there, you know, once you train. But a lot of the guys were born on the East Coast, you know. Okay. If, if, if you're really think, I mean, I don't know if that answers your question. You know, I no, mean, you really it does. It just it seems. I mean, I grew up. You know, my my, my dad used to tell me the stories when uh, he lived in the in Buddy the neighborhood with Buddy Rogers. Right. So, okay. I mean, from from day one growing up with wrestling, it was you know Buddy Rogers and uh, King Kong Bundy, and I mean every big name that came through there was either from somewhere within 10 miles it seemed like everybody i knew growing up was within 10 miles of camden right. or 10 miles of philadelphia and i mean not, not to say that wrestlers aren't from other areas it just seemed like a real hotbed compared right, to yeah. even other places like say houston or baltimore where there seem to be some wrestlers that are they're frequent dan can i inter- can i interject something for a minute yeah go ahead and, and i and and not to put words in doc's mouth and then i'll i'll turn it back over to you but okay. In, in answering that, that question, I think Doc was on to it. But I think the other thing, too, and I can speak from both sides of the coin, because I was a fan before I got into business. And I think the fact that, and I think, Doc, you'll agree with this. I think the fact that we were exposed to some of the greatest wrestling town in the world, we yeah. had superstar Billy Graham, Pedro, Bruno, Buddy Rogers, um, Bruiser Brody, Johnny Rods, uh, David Yohannan, J.J. Dillon. I mean, we had, you know, some of the, the mm-hmm. best of the best here that lived here. That live, I mean, I live in, in what they call this wrestler's row, okay? Right. I had our friend Gino Moore, a promoter, rest his soul, yeah. lived two blocks away. Kathy Fitzpatrick across the street. King Kong Bundy lived 10 minutes away. Jimmy Snooker lived 15 minutes away. Buddy Rogers lived 20 minutes away. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you're talking about within... Yeah, Larry less, Sharp. Yeah, Larry. Larry Sharp. Another one. Yeah. They all lived within less than a 20-minute drive of where I'm sitting right now. Right. Yeah. Which is... If you think about it, it's like beyond remarkable that all of these people lived within like driving distance within a couple of minutes. And that, what you can add to that is there was a lot of, you know, I mean, even though they were small, but then some were big, you had a lot of promotions on the East Coast and somebody yeah. actually, actually could make a living yeah. doing that yeah. joint. You know, well, we had NWA Jersey, we had Jersey All Pro, we had uh, um, uh, uh, National Wrestling Superstars, 
Um, oh God, who Doc? We all oh, we had Devastation University Doc's group. And uh, I had personally had over the top NWA. Uh, yeah. We had WWSA, which was World Wrestling Stars Alliance. And then, like I said, that I had Devastation, mm-hmm. you know, Wrestling Federation, but also Devastation University, which I got off of Bundy, King Kong Bundy. I bought right. back in 2000, 2004. Yeah. Yeah. I bought that and, off and, of Bundy. And we also, you know, right, right over in Philadelphia, of course, we had uh, Dino Santa's group, Worldwide Wrestling Alliance. At ECW, um, Pennsylvania Championship Wrestling, PCW. Uh, oh my God! I mean, Dan, we, we this this area was just super rich in in wrestling promotions. And, and like right. Doc said, right. I remember being you know? being a kid, being up in that area, and the I mean, obviously it was all over the television because you had the local the local promotions on yeah. channel ten and thirteen. Yeah, I remember correctly. Yeah. And but I mean, going to some of the stores in the area, my I'd spend August with my grandparents, and every place that sold anything, there was wrestling merchandise, wrestling videos. Yeah. That's was it was everywhere. Now, like, Doc, every- you 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 can tell Dan a little bit about this, Doc, because you know you're a little bit older than I am. But tell him about oh, wrestling at well, <laughs> only a little bit, Doc. <laughs> you're only a little older than I am. You could tell Dan about the wrestling in Camden at the National Guard Armory. Oh, yes. Yes. You know, tell him about yeah. like, the, some of the, you know, go ahead, Dan. You guys talk. Well, we had, <laughs> I had shows. Yourself, go ahead. A lot of the shows that I had up that way, uh, I st- uh, st- any shows I did in Camden area, I don't know if you remember D.C. D. Drake. Yep. Oh, my God. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, DC Drake, they used to run the company with the the Wild Samoans out of Camden. Yeah. Yeah. And then I I worked for them for a long time. And then, like I said, I was the person to go to for for midget wrestlers. That was that was well. That's that's something. It's funny you mentioned that. That's something else I remember a lot from the the local territories on TV growing up. Was there was a lot more midget wrestling. In, in that part of, of Jersey and, and Philly than there was, you know, being living in Maryland or other parts of the area. You know. Right. Yeah. And, you know, um, to, go ahead. Dan, that's because the, of the water, Dan, that the water will stunt your growth here. <laughs> <laughs> to, to go back to what we were talking about with training, uh, something I, I've been curious about is the, uh, it's very common in wrestling, especially today with the, and I know Mike, brought it up before in the past with the indie wrestlers the uh what's the what's the word i i i want to say that the the slang term for them is trash bag but the wrestlers that are obvious just knockoffs of other people um i'm curious you know but then that you also have that through history with like say the rockers and the rock and roll express and and you know uh the idea that that demolition was because vince couldn't get the road warriors um, I'm curious when you, when you do you uh, bring, talk in training when you have guys that come in and they have this gimmick in mind or they have this character in mind and they want to be the next whoever you know the, the the next Stone Cold the next you know the Rock the next Ric Flair uh, do you have to train to that or do you try and train that out of them train that out of them because I tell them that you, you got to 
when I when I bring them in the office and talk to them, and they come to me with all these ideas of who they want to be, and this is the character they want to be, and this is before they even stepped in the ring. Mm-hmm. And you got to get that all out of their head, you know. I mean, you got to try. And there's just some guys you can't. And there's some guys, like I said, they they get there for two weeks and they just can't take it. They, and they want to say wrestling's this and wrestling's that, but a lot of guys can't take it. Yeah, they go through the training for two weeks and I, and I run them through just the bumps and running the ropes, and they want to quit because you know they think it's this or that. And you know I don't want to say fake, but you know what I mean. They, right. they you know they yeah. this or that, and then you know, but then they start taking bumps and then. Uh, running the ropes, and then like uh, a day later, I see him, or two days later, they have a big, big bruise or rash underneath their arm for running the ropes, or, exactly. <laughs> or, or damn, doc, my back hurts, uh, you know, mm-hmm. bumps, you know, you know, like that, you know, yeah. <laughs> well, you know what, doc, it's a, to, to doc, to your point, you know, a lot of people, they, they, you know, these young, especially the younger, the younger crew. You know, I call them kids, but yeah, they're kids. Um, they see wrestling on television. And they see a guy take a bump. Oh, well, that doesn't look bad. You know, because the ring, the ring bounces. It's got give. Let me tell you something. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you something. If you take a bump in a training ring, you're going to know you took a bump because your back is going to be sore for a month. Yep. The, uh, and some and of the biggest, toughest guys, and Doc will tell you, some of the biggest, toughest guys walked through the Monster Factory. Yeah. They took one or two bumps and went, oh, my God. Especially when, you know, you or Larry said, hit me with a flat back bump. Yep. Okay? That, you, that... You've ever taken a flat back bump? I have. It fucking hurts, okay? It hurts. <laughs> and th- that actually came out during the... Uh the fallout from the Benoit tragedy when they were talking about the beatings that wrestling takes. Yeah. And I think it was the American medical society. One of them did a series of tests and they said a basic, they, they, uh, a six foot man taking a flat back, bump, flat back, nah, flat back bump in the center of the ring is the equivalent of being se- of seated in a car and being rear ended at 35 miles an hour. And the oh, average wrestler yeah, no takes shit. something like a hundred thousand of them through their career. And they were talking yeah. about the, the term. you know, that, that, it's the wear and tear, and that's why you know, Mikey will tell you, Angela, you guys, same thing. The, the one word that that wrestlers hate more than anything is fake. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it might be scripted, but you, you know, you watch. We prefer the term work. Right, yeah. but I'm saying is, is it's, some it's of work. these you know moments. See, here's when, the when thing. I'm, I want to because you brought up something it. important, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to address this, Dan, and then I'll I'll give it back to you. You know. There are two F words that we try to stay away from. One of them I use pretty freely on the show. The other one is fake. Mm -hmm. Okay. Here's the thing. Is it fake? No. Is it predetermined? Yeah. Right. But there's a difference between being predetermined and fake. How you get from A to Z is up to you. There ain't nothing fake about taking a bump. There ain't nothing fake about getting thrown over the top rope and landing on a concrete floor. Yeah. There's nothing fake about getting your head slammed into a turnbuckle with no give, by the way. Despite how it looks, they got no give. And Doc will tell you, 
because he's taken plenty of them. So that's why I'm suffering now. <laughs> well, and there's some truth to that, Doc, because look at the guys, you know, our not, age and look, look at the guys our age and older. But not just yeah. that. Look at the guys that are dying young. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like I said the other day, you know, if these guys want to do high spot after high spot. Okay. Will you live to be 30? Will you be able to walk when you're 35? Will you remember your name when you're 40? Chances yeah. are no on all the above. Exactly. Okay. But you got guys from our era that are still around because they knew how to work. Right. That's the deal. It's all work, folks. Is it fake? No. Is it a work? Yeah. But these guys know how to work. Go ahead, Dan. I'll shut up. Right. Now, I was saying it, and, and Doc, you can probably uh, uh, vouch for this, too. The history side, you know, looking having spent years studying the history of wrestling, the, the original wrestlers were exactly that. They were wrestlers, and they were the best wrestlers. And they realized, you know, two of them talking one day, hey, if we worked together, there's there's your word, Angelo. If we worked together, neither of us, we could minimize our injuries and make oh. a lot of money. And, you know, one thing led to another. I mean, that's why you had your your Vern Gagne's and your Bruno's and your Nick Bockwinkles, who were phenomenal technical wrestlers. And, I mean, Vern Gagne, you know, lived to be, what, in his 90s? You know, and, yeah, and he, he was winning. Yeah, he was... He was still packing the crowds in his fifties and you got some of these guys today taking, you know, super flips, back flips, uh, in through a stack of light bulbs a couple times a week are, are 28 years old and can't work anymore. You know? Um, I'm, I'm, so to, to go back to your point, uh, is that another thing that you, I don't want to say maybe, beat out of people for lack of a better term. And you get these guys in who start, you say they have the ideas like, Oh, I want to have this. I want to be jumping off ladders and my finishing move is going to be some big top rope spot. And it's like, you know, do, do you, you have to train that out of a lot of people too? Do you see? Yeah. I mean, I say, yeah, because you, I've been around a lot like Papa Shanga. You know, he started at the monster factory. You know, I started, he put his boots on the for, for the first time. Uh, both pit bulls, Anthony, Anthony, and uh, Gary, both of them the pit bulls. First time they put their boots on. Um, King Kong Bundy, the first time he put his boots on. You know, guys like that. And um, Doc remembers yep, when Doc, Bundy had yeah. hair. Yes, 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 yes. Black hair. Matter of fact, black hair. Yeah, he did too. <laughs> Larry Sharp. Larry Sharp had black hair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to, if you remember, I used to hang around. Well, helping Mal, uh, Augie when Augie ran the rings oh, for the sure. WWE. Yep. Yeah, yep. absolutely. With growing monsoon, and we also used to park the, the truck, the WWF truck, up there in Willingboro. Yeah, absolutely. The, yeah, I, my my wife is actually real good friends with uh, with Monsoon's daughter. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah. She, she used to come in all the time. I used to bounce at. Uh, the old Concord on 38 and outside of Mount Holly. Now oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, my nice. God. There, there's a name I haven't heard in a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. I, yeah. Let me, let yeah, me ask, and my, uh, my wife grew up with the D'Lo Brown, too, by the way. Oh, nice. Okay. Just, just, a, just a side note, sidebar. Uh, Mike Messier. Yes. 
I'm going to turn it over to you now for the next 15 minutes or so. Go for it. Okay. Doc, um, you talk about uh, young King Kong Bundy, and I remember that he actually did uh, preliminary matches. He was kind of a, an undercard guy, uh, you know, very early in the WWF and early in Bundy's career. I'm talking like 1981, 1980. And I guess as a trainer, as, as a coach for wrestlers, Doc, do you see wrestlers coming into uh, your life to get trained by you and you can say, hey, you know what? That wrestler has star quality, but this other wrestler, maybe he's not going to be or she's going to be a main event player or a main event star, but maybe they'll be a good uh, you know, enhancement talent or a good undercard talent. And, and, or maybe you see a wrestler and they don't have the physical ability but they have the mic skills, the, the mouthing off skills, and you can reassign them as a manager or even a commentator. Is that part of your coaching or training to be very honest with the students and say, you're a main event player, but you're not. You're a preliminary well, guy or you're a mid-card guy or you're a manager. Does that ever come up? Yes, a lot. A lot of guys can't make it as a wrestler. They'll, they'll become a manager you know, or try to. You know, and um, as far as Bundy goes, I mean, guys like that just stand out. Just how big they are. I mean, I took um, Ron, I took uh, Paul White over to ECW, and he, at that time, at that time, he was wrestling as uh, before. Uh, it was Larry Sharp and me. We went over and took him, and uh, at that time, he was wrestling under like a lumberjack kind of gimmick. Right. This isn't what the ECW, ECW, they turned him down. And I couldn't believe it. I said, they're going, that guy's that big. You got to be able to do something with him. I mean, he only has to know like five or six moves, if that, in the ring. As yeah. big as he was. Same thing I with remember Martin. that. Uh, and, and Paul White, by the way, is uh, the big show. Yes. Um, and a lot, a lot of people don't know that he went through the Monster Factory. And a lot of people don't know... That they turn a lot of people turned him down. Yes, you know there. And Doc, is there a such thing as being too big that you don't know what to do with a guy? Yeah, because you get too big, then you you're clumsy, can't do anything, and everything you do try to do. I mean, if you don't like you said, you don't like to use the word fake, but uh, when you can't even get your leg up or you know whatever the situation is, whatever you're doing. Uh, yeah. I mean, it looks, Doc, nice, why, it, looks did, nice, it looks nice coming to the ring, but what do you do once you get in there? Right. Yeah, well, let me ask you a question, Doc, and then I'll, then I'll give it back to Mikey. Um, when, when Bundy walked in, and I, and I knew Chris for a long time, um, when Bundy walked in, he obviously stood out because of his size. Yes. Were you surprised when you saw him move? Yes. That was just, uh, yeah, the same thing with, like, Chief Thunder Mountain and uh, Gary LaJambre, which which I managed and got into the business. Gary LaJambre, Terry Funk, when I first met Terry Funk, was of the CYO, and he actually, like, I really didn't know him. I just knew of him. I met him a couple times, and then we, we got a relationship that, I sat down with Gary, one of my big guys. He weighed, at that time he weighed over four hundred pounds. Yeah. And 
We talked to Terry Funk. Everybody else got tried to get him over to Japan for me. I couldn't even do it. Abdul the Butcher couldn't do it. At that time, he was doing the booking. And then Terry took over for doing some bookings for like all, 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 uh, all New Japan and guys like that. And just having one meeting with Terry, it was just luck, a luck meeting at CYO. And he hired, he got Gary over to Japan for me. And that was my first time going to Japan, which was with Gary, one of my guys. Gary Lozambre. Yeah. But at that time, he wrestled in the Texas Terminator, and I called him Big Hoss, and he went through the, like a cowboy gimmick kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, I remember Chief Thunder Mountain. He was a big dude. Yes. And a not big, just that. A big, lovable guy. Yes. But, you know, he had he had a, a lot of issues, though. Yes. Yeah, he had a lot of issues. Well, but Chief, if you, if you get a chance to look him up on Google, uh, just Google Chief Thunder Mountain. He was a... a Big, uh, six foot three, four hundred and fifty pound Italian guy, doing the Indian gimmick. He did have Blackfoot Indian, in, believe it or not. It might what? have been one percent, but he had Blackfoot Indian. In. <laughs> really? Yeah, oh, I know he was. A, he had an Italian true. last name. <laughs> That's funny. Go ahead, Mikey. Continue. I guess a, a follow-up question would be. The last uh, six or seven years, I'll give credit to the NXT training facility for churning out uh, legitimately some great female talent that the numbers of which we haven't seen in previous wrestling generations, at least as in my experience, Sasha Banks, Charlotte Flair, Bailey, Becky Lynch, etc. Um, when you work with women wrestlers, Doc, is there any considerations that they have to be trained differently? As far as how they take bumps, the their Good bodies. Yes, I mean, I mean, it, yeah, so it, it is different. It is different, and um, not not trying to be male chauvinistic or anything like that. I mean, they, they take things differently than what you're going to tell a guy. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, they just are. They just are, and I'm not saying you got to handle them with, you know, kid gloves or anything like that. You know, but. It's, it, there's a big difference, and, and there's a big difference. Is like I said, you know, Vince and whoever. I mean, they're make, it's popular now, sure, but I mean, the uh, reality shows help that Vince is involved with, with the women and all this kind of the diva stuff and all that kind of stuff. But I remember when you couldn't even find a woman on a on a on a card, or if you did, there was one match and it didn't last long, and usually one couldn't wrestle at all, and maybe the other one. So so, but now and then then it got to a point that they couldn't wrestle at all. It was just about looks. Yeah. And they 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 couldn't you know they couldn't get you. They didn't know what a headlock was you know from from you know. You know Terry Runnels versus the Cat at WrestleMania or something like that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Exactly. But, yeah. but these but, but these these days I guess I'm asking when you I'm assuming that you've had some really great female talents come through your doors yes as a coach you want to give them their money's worth and their time's worth to train with you but as a male coach because i've been an acting coach and you know there's really not much difference between female actors and male actors in that regard but in wrestling when it's physical um i'm just wondering what are some of the exact differences in the nuances of teaching 
And, and, and maybe you have to explain to the women like, Hey, I'm not being sexist. I'm just trying to help you get the most out of being here without getting injured. That's what I'm yeah. curious about. I mean, it comes, I mean, it comes to down, especially now. I mean, it comes down to sex. Not with that person. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it, Gender, it's all yeah. about sex. Right. How they look at how they look in the ring. Okay. But actually now both of the women that are in the ring actually can wrestle. Right. That, that's a big difference than years ago or, you know, that, you know, they just they actually can wrestle. It, is, it isn't just a beauty contest. Like well, it was. you know what, Doc, can I ask you a question about that? Mike, I'm sorry. Sure. I'm just going to chime in here. Let me ask you about that. You know, the, the WWE and AEW now, they have these, uh, these wrestlers that look more like beauty queens than wrestlers. Right. When you and I grew up, we had people like uh, Mola, you know, Le- Le- Mula, Joyce Le- Grable, uh, Ann Casey, uh, Donna Cristinello. They were tough women. Yes, they were. You know, they weren't the most beautiful creatures in the world, but they could work their, you know, their ass off. Really, when you get a a, a woman that comes in like Amy Lee or Casey Carlisle. Somebody like that who's, you know, you know, let's be honest, you know, Amy's a great wrestler, but she's not the prettiest thing to look at. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, well, you know, she's a friend of mine, so I, you know. Yeah, uh, but she, you know, she's one of the boys, you know. Yeah, you're right there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you, when, when somebody, like Amy's a big girl, right? And she's uh, tough. Yeah, tough yeah, yeah. Now, you train Amy differently than you would train somebody like uh, Sasha Banks or somebody like that? Oh, sure. I mean, you're going to have to. Like I said, if you, if you don't have the looks, like that's what I mean. Amy went with the brawling situation. You know, it was a brawl, not wrestling. Yeah. It was you know, brawling, not wrestling. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of the guys, you know, even though like I managed bad attitude and they were two big guys, they were 400 pounds plus each. And they, they were brothers, and they nobody could tell them. They thought, you know, everybody thought they were twins when they were in the ring. They couldn't tell each other, you know, from who was who when they got in the ring. Yeah. But uh, one was a brawler, which was Dave, which just passed away. And then Darren passed away a couple of years ago. But um, to get back to Amy, like I said, she's a great friend and, you know, all that stuff. But, you know, like everybody in this business, like me and uh, Anzo were talking about Gino. And everybody wants to talk behind somebody's back when they, you know, or talk on a computer when somebody's dead. Right. And can't go back. They, they keep their mouth shut, you know, while the person's alive. But when he dies, all of a sudden, all this stuff comes up about somebody. And I'm not just talking about Gino, anybody. And I've shut every, you know, I've shut everybody yeah. up. When I've got on there, they have, and they, I got them at the end apologizing to me because, like, like, like the Rock and Rebel, because I was telling Angelo, you know, about the other situation uh, about Benoit, and nobody knows except the two people that were there. Everybody yeah. wants to have all conspiracies about things, like with Rock and Roll Rebel. You know, I started him in the business. It's like Johnny Casimir and Trent Aston and guys like that. I started them in the business. 
They started in the business when they were 16 years old. I had their fathers sign for them to wrestle, you know, yeah. for me to train them, you know. Yeah. But I'm the only one that would give, give them a chance. Just like Trent towards the end, you know, I gave him a chance. You know, I mean, I signed for him, Department of Correction. Yeah. For him to come work for me because uh, he, he, wa he wanted to get out of the house. He, he was on um, lockdown in the home. You know, uh, what do you call it? Um, house arrest. House arrest. House arrest. Correct. Yeah. You know, my Alzheimer's kicking in right then. And uh, <laughs> I said, uh, <laughs> and I had a lie. I had a lie to the Department of Corrections. And I loved this guy. Trying to ask it, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I had a lot of the Department of Corrections because I was doing the guy a favor because he can get out of the house and tell me he was working at my gym. And then I would get a phone call, well, where is he at? And then I'd have to say, well, he's doing this for me, that for me. And then, you know, then I, you know, then I'm answering to the Department of Corrections to get myself in trouble. Yeah. You know, when I'm not there, that's what I'm trying to say. He's not there. And I have no idea where he's at. But, you know, yeah. he, he wasn't. I just didn't get him in the business. He became a friend too, just yeah. like Johnny Cap. They yeah. don't know the story. Nobody knows the story. I had all these like Z Bar and these guys that worked for ECW at the time. Oh, they're getting on. They're getting on Facebook and saying all this stuff that I robbed Johnny Cashmere and all this kind of stuff, or I did yeah. this, I did that. Johnny yeah. Cashmere. You don't. I told. I thought. I said you don't know what conversation me and Johnny Cashmere had. Right. That you don't know what he called me. And I wouldn't answer the phone. And he called me and kept going on and on. So listen, because he, he, he was at that time he was talking to my wife at the time, and he said, "Listen, because I didn't want to talk to him." And he says, "Tell Doc I respect him. This and that. I want to talk to him. Please tell him to talk to him." And I kept hanging up on him, hanging up on him. <laughs> finally, I finally, you know, and then finally when I did talk to him, you, you know, two people screaming on each end of the phone, you can't get nothing done. Yeah. Okay. And finally, I talked to him, and he said, you know, listen, let's not, you know, scream and yell and all this, call each other names, this and that. And finally, I got talking to him, and he said, listen, Doc, what can I do for you? Because I respect you. What can I do for you to make us, you know, even, you know, as far right. as not knowing each other and even on things? Because, like I said, the Z-bars and people have never done anything in wrestling, yeah. You know, yeah. And stuff like that. You know, they had all this crap to say about me because I supposedly ripped him out. No. Johnny Casimir walked away after the, it was either the second or third match, which I, which we did at the uh, skate zone, the flyer skate zone. Why would you, you're doing the promotion. Why would you walk out after the second or third match when you, when you had um, Diamond Dallas Page there on the card that I'm paying for? Uh, Nikolai Volkov. Uh, you know, I can go on with the names, but he he disappears, and then I'm not supposed to think that there's money missing at the front. You know, at the yeah. <laughs> at the box. Well, I I got a well, that, that, that's a story. That's a story, Doc, for another day. I, but, yeah, well, why don't you get? In, I, I'm just gonna say that uh, you know some of these names that you're talking about. I remember from. Combat Zone Wrestling in particular, which wasn't too far from you guys up there in the New Jersey area, Combat Zone kind of came in at the end of the ECW, original ECW era, and Combat Zone helped fill that void. But this brings me to my next question real quick, and then I'll hand it over to Dan and Angelo, which is um, some of this 
you know, brutal death wrestling, death wrestling, Nick Mondo Cage and and guys like that who've made a living somehow, at least I hope they have, doing uh, the weed whackers to the stomach and doing the, the jumping off a building into a barbed wire table. This, this cult of underground backyard stuff, Doc, as a teacher, as an instructor, do you ever see young talent who's interested in that type of wrestling? And if, if they come to you with that type of wrestling in mind, what is your response to that? Well, uh, matter of fact, you, you, you're going to recognize the name I say. Matt Tremont. Yeah. Okay. In my yep. school. He started in my school. And then he continued to come to my school. And that's the first thing I had to tell him because that's all he would call me up on the phone. He said, Doc, I got this idea. Or when I'd be at the school, he wanted to do the hardcore stuff. And I said, Kid, you don't have to do the hardcore stuff. He Matt can can wrestle. He doesn't have to be hitting you with light bulbs and hitting you with a ladder or, or a trash can lid or something like that. That's for people that can't work. Right. Exactly. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's what it comes down to. You can't work, so you got to hit somebody with a trash can lid, or you know, and bleeding all over the place, and you know. Absolutely. That was, you know, that was my saying to him. Listen, Matt, you don't have to do this stuff, and not just that. What's he going to look like four or five years from now? Right. After doing all that damage to yourself, fall from a, you know. 10 foot or 15 foot ladder or out of a balcony like the ECW falling out of a balcony and stuff like that. What kind of shape are you going to be in? Yeah, you're going to be, you're going to be, you know, seeing a doctor very often, yeah. you know, and your wrestling career is going to be short or you're going to be hooked on something, alcohol, whatever it is. Yeah. It's because you want to do this silly stuff because you can't work and can't wrestle. Doc, as an, out, yeah. as an outsider looking in, sometimes I worry that these kind of underground deathmatch wrestlers have some type of, uh, I don't want to say suicidal streak, but uh, a nihilism to themselves that they want to injure their own bodies uh, for the sake of whatever. And I, I just, I just, I, it just seems to me that you're a very well-grounded guy. You see pro wrestling for what it was and what it should continue to be. Uh, working people for entertainment, but having uh, a level of respect for the business. And I'm just glad that there's trainers like yourself who are still out there trying to teach these kids. They don't have to uh, jump into barbed wire or they don't have to do a Joey Ryan routine in order to get over. Right. You don't have to do like a staple gun to the head and you know, stuff right. like that. Yeah. Necro butcher right. type um, stuff. Yeah, I mean, yes, I mean, to me, it's not entertaining. Oh yeah, it's just like watching. It's just like watching a car crash. Right. Everybody look. Everybody turns and they hold up traffic and they look. It's a, it's the same thing. I, I yeah. think it's a it was a, it's a trend or fad, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, and and, yeah, but, and five minutes later, you forgot all about it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Who who did what or yeah, who did what to exactly. who? Or unless you know, oh, did you see that guy? You know, dump that engine on top, that car engine on top of the other yeah. guy. I remember I mean, something? Like that. Remember, <laughs> you, know, you know, we can all remember, you know, Bruno and Ivan Koloff. We all remember 
right. Bruno and Superstar Graham. We remember, you know, Hulk Hogan and the Iron Sheik. You can't remember anything these guys did because it's so forgettable. Nobody cares. Exactly. Dan, you got the last round of questions, brother, and then we're going to take it home. Well, I was just about to say the, uh, you know, like you mentioned, I mean, 100 years from now, wrestling fans will still be watching the tape of Flair and Dusty Rhodes in the cage. And, you know, I, I couldn't tell you probably six months from now, somebody like a Joey Ryan will be a footnote. Do uh, you remember this this exactly. one loser who people don't remember? But um, we are nearing the end, so I do want to wrap it up. I have one final question for you. You've been teaching and you've been working with wrestling for a long time. So, putting you on the spot here, who was your favorite student you've ever had? Favorite student ever had? Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow. Good as answer as any. Yep. And Bam Bam was a big guy who could oh, work pound, and pound could for move. Pound, one of the best big men in the business. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, he sure was, too. I got and to meet him once. And a Way hard too goal. Soon. He had a hard was- goal. Yeah. yeah, he's a real nice guy. I met him in the summer of '96. Yeah, at a local show in Cumberland, Rhode Island, and he was a he was a great guy to me for just mm-hmm. five or ten minutes. Mikey, you want to tell Doc that story about running into Larry Sharp down in Baltimore? Yeah, Doc, you're gonna love this story. I went to as a young child. I went to the 1989 Great American Bash in Baltimore, the pay per view, Flair vs. Funk, and uh, me and my buddies were walking around the Inner Harbor going to the to the wrestling show the baltimore arena and uh we're about three hours before the doors open and we see this big african-american guy with a white shirt and no sleeves and suspenders and he's with uh a guy that i did recognize in a suit with the blonde hair and the sunglasses the Playboy blue larry sharp I, I thought it was brown in my memory but it, oh, okay, okay okay but it was a sport coat and it was larry sharp and this is uh july 23rd 1989 to be exact because it's the day of the pay-per-view and i i and i recognized larry sharp because of his pictures with bam bam bigelow and pro wrestling illustrated the after mags and i go up to these guys and I, I, I said, you're Larry Sharp, the, the trainer. And he said, yes, I am. And, and I pointed to the guy with him, who was Charles Wright. Uh, and uh, he wasn't Papa Shango yet. And uh, I said, is this guy going to wrestle tonight? And Larry said, we hope so. I, uh, I asked him if I could take a picture. This is way before cell phone cameras. This is old school 35 millimeter you know, camera. I took a picture of these two guys, Larry Sharp and uh, Charles Wright, Papa Shango, the Godfather. And uh, I took the picture. I kept it all those years. And then in 2013, I went to a wrestling convention, Joe Bruins Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. Uh, Joe is actually in the picture with Paul Orndorff on the beginning of this show, Wrestling of the Future. And uh, I, I went up to Charles Wright with a photo replication of this picture with him and uh, Larry Sharp. And I said, I took this of you back in 1989, and this is 2013. And I gave uh, the Godfather, Papa Shango, Charles Wright, the soul taker, a picture of himself with his trainer from all those years back. And he really appreciated it. So that was just one of those things where wrestling fans never forget. And uh, it was just a classy uh, thing of Larry Sharp and Charles to take the picture. And I was happy to bring Charles that photograph so many years later. 
Yeah, that's funny you said that because you took the words when you said the Soul Taker, that was his first name you had out of the Monster Factory. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I remember when he was there, Doc. You know, Larry used to take the boys to my father's bar in Camden. They used to, after all the matches, they used to come, uh, you know, because Larry was a good friend of the family, knew me and my father. And, you know, of course, we all knew Dennis. Everybody knew Dennis. Because uh, he was always coming in for a free meal, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and Larry introduced him as Bear the Soul Taker, remember? Yes. yes. Yeah. And that, that's, uh, that was the first, uh, the first introduction that I had to Charles Wright, the Godfather. Many, many nights I was with Larry and uh, yeah. came out of that bar uh, not remembering how I got home. <laughs> yeah, so. I know. Oh, brother, let me tell you, we used to have a lot of fun, a lot of fun. I've got, I've, but, but I have we had, gotten. But we drunk. had the right, we had the right kind of fun, though. Yeah, well, I've, I've gotten drunk with the best in the business. You know, junkyard oh. dog and Bob Wharton. <laughs> yes. yes, and the both of the Samoans, Afa and Sika, and Samu and Fatu, and Stan Hansen and Kamala. I've, I'm gonna tell you something. I drank with all of them. Nice. I drank with all of them, and they were, and they could drink, brother. Let me tell you something. They Probably. could, and eat and drink, Probably. and they were great guys, and and they all of them were fun to be with, and they all had hearts of gold. Yes, they did. Speaking of hearts of gold, you have been incredibly generous with your time tonight, Doc. I got to have you back for like part two. Yes, uh, it, it, but the honor's mine. Believe me, Angelo, I Mike, and Dan. It. I appreciate. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, we've uh, done an hour and a half tonight, and I'm gonna tell you what—it just blew by. It really did. Sure did. So, Dan, um, we're gonna wrap it out, Doc. Before we go, we always like to tell people where they can get a hold of you. So, can people reach you on Facebook? Yes, they can. Facebook, uh, this you can punch in Doc Diamond, and it, you know my real name comes up, of course. But you know, I'm, there's like. 30 years, but some guys have known me for 30 years thought my real name was Doc Diamond. Yeah. <laughs> I, never, I never never, used my real name. Only people that were real, real, real close to me knew my real name. Yeah. You know? But, uh, yeah, Facebook. Yep, just and, Facebook, uh, just search Doc Diamond and he will come up. Yes, it will be under my real name, but you'll see me there. And, uh, of course, uh, in my beautiful blonde hair. And then, uh, well, yeah, the, the, the pictures I have behind me. Yes. Yes. Dan, but, what, what do we got, Dan? Uh, uh well, Mike, you want uh, to, uh, everybody, our, our plug, our merch, all that stuff. I'm going to say, Mike, you want to, uh, do your, do your plugs first and we'll wrap up with the, with the program. Sure. Well, people should be checking out. If they're listening to this, make sure you go to Facebook. If you're on Facebook. And request to get into the Wrestling with the Future private Facebook group. There's also a public page, but we want to uh, request everyone join our private group. Go to YouTube, help us out, because we've got a lot of good content there on the Wrestling with the Future podcast uh, YouTube page. And what you can do is you can get in there, you can sign up, you can subscribe and hit the alarm button so you get notified when new content comes out. Yep. Uh, so that's a great way to be in touch with us. As far as myself, 
I'm doing life lessons with Mikey Messier on the Wrestling with the Future podcast channel, uh, MikeMessier.com. I'm working on screenplays and uh, having a good time. And right, Dan, and as, for, as for us, we're uh, Wrestling with the Future is on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter at Wrestling Future, no G, Wrestling Future. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, and buy the T-shirt. <laughs> I gotta get you one, Doc. I, I'm gonna have to send you one out. Yeah, thank you, man. You Appreciate. It. It. I'll send you one of mine. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, for Dan, the man, Sebastiano. Uh, oh, and you can reach Dan at the man underscore WWTF on Twitter. And hit him up on Facebook. It's Dan Sebastiano. If you type in Dan the Man, you may get somebody else. Just put in Dan Sebastiano. <laughs> so, you know, just look for the hat. Just look for the hat. He's real easy to find. <laughs> the sideburns and the hat. Right. And, uh, of course, MikeMessier.com for all your wants, needs, and Messier desires. Yeah. <laughs> MikeMessier.com. Yeah. Doc Diamond is at Doc Diamond on Facebook. And uh, you can find me on Facebook.com forward slash Wrestling with the Future. You can sign uh, sign up for our psychic page. That's Psychic Angelo on Facebook. Easy enough to find. And if you want to hit me up as a friend, it's Angelo DeCipio on Facebook. So for Doc Diamond, for Dan the Man and Mike Messier, I am Psychic Medium Angelo. Happy wrestling, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you, gentlemen.